You're listening to Enclave Community Church. For more information about Enclave, please visit us online at enclavecc.com. I, I was thinking this past week, and sometimes I want to rename the sermon series that we're in um, Bible verses that will never appear on a tea towel. <laughs> <laughs> Never appear on a coffee mug, never appear on a t-shirt, and never appear on a cross stitch. Like, you're not going to find this on your grandma's wall. Or if you do, you might say, Grandma, you need to tone, you need to tone it down. <laughs> you need to tone that down. Um, and I kind of especially feel that way today because we are, are as promised, right? <laughs> as promised. Uh, we're going to dig a little bit deeper uh, into that sort of troubling phrase I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And so we're going to dig a little bit deeper in that today. Now, we have been saying that Malachi is written to who? Israelites. Like, you should know this by now. We've been, like, Israelites who have come back from Babylon and who have rebuilt the temple. They were captured in captivity in Babylon, brought back. They rebuilt the temple. And some uh, wrong ideas about God has filtered into their minds, and so Malachi is written to address some of those wrong ideas, and it comes sort of in the form of these series of six disputes where God makes a truth claim, he defends that truth claim, but it is also disputed by the people of God. Now, we've been kind of uh, camping out on the first dispute, and um, I I promise, or at least... um, Lord willing, I think, like, uh, we will, like, pick up the pace, you know, we've been on the first, like, five verses for a while, and that's not usually what we do. So, but I, I feel like there's some important things to sort of dig deep into to kind of uh, maybe not completely settle in our mind, but get more familiar with uh, before we move forward, and so that's why we're doing that. So we're in the first dispute, and if you remember the first dispute, the truth claim that Yahweh is bringing to his people is, I love you with a covenant love, right? A, a, a love that is based on promises with the expectation of fidelity. So a marriage is like a covenant. He's, I love you with a covenant love. And the people of Israel, like Brandon said, like their basic response to that is to say, yeah, right. How have you loved us? And then Israel's, you know, Yahweh's answer to Israel is, is a little unexpected. I mean, if, if Sarah was asking me, uh, you know, that question, I don't know if this is the answer that I would give to her. But nevertheless, Yahweh says to his people, well, I wiped out the Edomites, didn't I? Right? And when they try to rebuild, I judged you and let you rebuild. But when they try to rebuild, I won't, I won't let them. Right, that, that's his basic um, answer to them. In fact, he says, they will be known, like throughout the world, they're going to be known as the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. I was like, wow, okay. Um, and just like let, let that sort of uh, sink in. So last time we asked the question, okay, can a good God get angry? Can a good and loving God get angry? And the way that we, you know, sort of concluded last time we were together is, well, actually, a a good and loving God must come against very fiercely evil in the world if he's going to create a good and loving world. Like, you can't have a good and loving world 
unless God comes strongly against evil and, and, and brings it out of the world. So that's, that's the question that we sort of looked at last time. But today, we're asking the question, okay, how should we think about God's love and God's hate? Um, when he says, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. So we're, we're going to look at God's holy hate and his electing love today. And, and so we're going to talk about some pretty controversial things. And, and I want you to know that this is a safe place um, to talk about these things. And you don't have to read them exactly the same way I do. We can be in conversation about this type of thing. Um, because not everybody reads it exactly the same way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best I can as the, as the Spirit guides me to, to help uh, all of us understand what this means. And, and I'm learning too. So we're all in this process together. So I want you to know, know about that. But we're going to kind of look at this phrase sort of in the, in the reverse. We're going to begin thinking about, but Esau I have hated. That'll, that'll be our first point. And then we're going to talk about, I have loved Jacob. So let's first think about Esau I have hated. Now, I mean, like even saying that out loud, it, like, it feels kind of strange, honestly, like coming out of my mouth. Like, and the first reaction I have to that is like, wait a minute, time out. Like, God, God doesn't hate anybody. What, what is this all about? Well, the first thing that we did when we were looking at God's wrath is we asked the question, okay, is this, is this spoken of anywhere else in the Bible? And so I want to do the same thing with, with this truth. Is, is this spoken of anywhere else in the Bible? And when you come to the Bible, you, you learn that, that it is. Proverbs 6 has a couple of verses that, that read this way. Jeremiah 12, 8 has a couple of verses that, that read this way. Hosea 9, 15. But, but today, and those are in, in your bulletin, by the way, so you can look those up. But today I want to focus on two, two, uh, two verses, that passages that come from the book of Psalms. So one is from uh, Psalms 5, and it reads this way, beginning in verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Okay, that, that was a heavy one, so let's, let's do an even heavier one. All right, so this is, this is Psalm 11, right? And now beginning in verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scalding wind shall be the portion of their cup. So, so there's that cup that we've seen several times over the course of actually several years. We, sometimes we return to this cup because it kind of crops up in these different places. And so evidently, like from these verses, God hates wicked deceivers who are bloodthirsty and he has a severe judgment um, waiting for them. So, you know, okay, how are we supposed to think about that? How exactly are we supposed to think about that? Um, I think that one of the things that we need to do is just sort of, and this is something that has been important. We, I don't hear it talked about very much lately, but it's something that has been important for centuries in terms of 
Bible interpreters, theologians, they've always acknowledged that we have to understand the limits of human language. Right? You, you, you cannot um, totally explain who God is with human language because human language is, is limited. And that's especially true when it comes to emotions that are assigned to God. Right? So there, there's a sense in which right, uh, there's an analogy. Whenever we speak about God, we, we speak analogically about him. Right? So when, when it comes to God's hate in Malachi, it comes to God's hate in, 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 the, in the book of Psalms, we have to realize that it is analogous to human hate, right? And, and it's similar to human hate because we're made in the image of God and there's, there's some parallels there, but there's also a difference because guess what? God is not a human being, right? He took on humanity uh, in, in Jesus but he's not a human being, and he's especially not a sinful human being, right? So we, that's, that, those are all the human beings that we know, right? Sinful human beings are all the human beings that we know. But God is not a sinful human being. So whatever you say God's hate is, and, and different people have postulated different answers to that, to that question, it can't be sinful. That's like the one thing is like, eh, every time. Right, because God does not sin ever. He's like perfect in his holiness. So we must be talking about a holy hate that's without sin. Now, the word hate, in my mind at least, is so coupled with the idea of sin that I can understand why some translators have opted to not translate this word as hate in the book of Malachi. For example, the NLT, the New English Translation, which is a really good translation, they say, well, let's, let's use the word reject, right? And, and that's still a hard truth, but, but it kind of like takes a little bit of the, of the like, wait, is God sinning right now? Like that idea kind of out of it. So I could kind of go, go along, along with that. You lose a little bit of the shock value, but maybe we want to lose a little bit of the shock value, right? So there, there's the first thing we have to acknowledge is that there's limits to human language, especially as it relates to talking about God's um, emotions. But then another thing that I think that is helpful to know is what is the difference between the wicked and the righteous in the Old Testament? Because we talk about it all the time. There's the wicked and the righteous all throughout the Proverbs, all throughout the Psalms. Like, who exactly are they? Like, the evil, like it's easy, Andrew. The evildoers, evildoers do evil. Like, that's easy. Well, actually, um, it's a little bit more complicated than that, right? The, the wicked in the Old Testament are, when you, when you kind of boil it all down, they're unrepentant sinners, unrepentant sinners. So we're not talking about somebody who turned to God, right, and still struggles with sin, right? The, the, these, these Psalms that talk about the wicked aren't talking about that person. They're talking about people who love their sin, right, and who hate God, right? What does it say in verse 5 of, of Psalm 11? They love what? They love violence. They're not even struggling with violence, right? It's not like they lashed out in violence, and then they're like, oh, I have to apologize to all these people, and then ask for repentance. They're not struggling with violence. They love violence. So you have to, that's the one thing that we have to keep in our mind. They, they have a, a certain relationship to their sin and a certain relationship to God. They, they, they love their sin, and they hate God. 
and that leads to deception and murder against all the people who stand in their way. That, that, that is the category of the wicked. Now, but here's the other surprising thing about this that we don't like to think about, is that every one of us belonged to this category at one time. That, that's what the New Testament teaches. So you look at Romans 5, 8, for example, or Romans 5, 10, or Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, right? It, it, it'll tell you that before we turned to Jesus... We were sons of disobedience. We followed the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Satan. So we followed Satan. So that would make us Satan followers. <laughs> Satanists, basically. It's like, wow, that's really heavy. Okay. So sons of disobedience, followers of Satan, um, children of wrath is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. His wrath rested uh, on the wicked. And we were all part of that, that category. Right? That, that's another thing to take into account. But then, okay, so the wicked are unrepented, uh, unrepentant sinners. So who then would be the righteous? The righteous are repentant sinners. Right? They, they, have, they once belonged in the category of the wicked, but now they, they've turned from their sin to God, received his forgiveness... And, right, and because God came into their life and is changing them from the inside out, they now have an increasingly different relationship to both God and to sin. They're new creatures in Christ. doesn't mean that they're, they're perfect, but there is this thing that's happening inside them where they are growing in their love for God and they're growing in their hatred for sin. So, so the difference is what people love. Love God, hate sin, or hate sin, love God. That's kind of like the basic difference between the righteous um, and, and, and the wicked. But they both, they have a different relationship to sin, but they both sin. So think about, all we got to do is think about David. Because okay, who, who wrote Psalm 5 and Psalm 11? King David. Did King David ever do anything evil, deceitful, or murderous? Because like, those are the categories of the wicked, right? Evil, deceitful, murderous. Did he ever do anything like that? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he actually did uh, like a couple of things like that. And, um, and the Bible does not hide it. Right? That, that's one, like... The Bible's like the one holy book that doesn't hide the sins of the heroes. It's actually an apologetic for the Bible. It's like, oh yeah, David did that. Right? David acknowledges that. The, there's scriptures recorded of David acknowledging that he did that. Right? And so the chief thing that, and I said there's several examples of this, but probably the chief thing that came to mind is what? Right? That's Sheba. That's exactly right. Like his sin against Bathsheba and the husband, you know, she's the wife of Uriah, Right? So how'd that whole thing go down, right? There, it started with sexual immorality, evil, not evil. Evil, okay. And then, and then there was a cover-up, right? Uh, deceitful, not deceitful. Deceitful, okay. And, and then it ended in murder. Is murder murder? Yes, okay. So all three categories, right? So all right, then what the heck? Like, David, why are you putting yourself in the category of the righteous and not the wicked? Like you do, like it's like this, it seems like it's the same. And the only difference that I can see 
is repentance. Wait, 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 that God worked in his heart in such a way that he brought him to the point of repentance, right? The prophet Nathan comes, and, and right, he repents. He sees himself for the sinner that he is, and he turns to God. And you can, you can read about that repentance in Psalm 51, Psalm 32, for example. So you can see the difference. The difference isn't between like, well, here's the people who do bad stuff. Here's the people who don't do bad stuff. Like everybody does bad stuff, right? But the difference is, is okay, this, my disposition to my sin and to God has changed. I love God now. I hate my sin. Like when I sin now, it doesn't, it doesn't feel as good, does it? No. It feels convicting. It feels like all these things, you know. And then you have a different relationship. And that's kind of the difference that, that's there. You know, it's interesting in Psalm 5 and Psalm 11, the righteous are the one who take refuge in the Lord. They trust in the Lord. The, the, the wicked are the ones who don't do that. And so God stands opposed. He rejects. He hates, if you want to use that word, anyone who adamantly stands opposed to repentance, God's kingdom, his loving reign, or the people of God. So how does this relate to the Edomites, the descendants of Esau? Well, we've talked about this before, right? They have steadfastly opposed the people of God and God's loving reign we, we, a couple of weeks ago, we said, like, for almost 2,000 years. Like, to be more accurate, we probably have to say, like, more like my, 1,700 years. 1,700 years they've stood opposed to God's people, or God's reign. And it began all the way in the womb of Rebecca. That's where the animosity began, right? And then Esau, when he grew up and he, and he was an adult, then he, it says that he despised his birthright. So that means, like, he despised being in the line through which the Messiah would come. Think, like, think about that. And, and then he, and then, okay, so he traded that in for, like, a billion dollars. Was that what he did? Was it a billion? A trillion? Quadrillion? Like, uh, let's just take a, how about a bowl of soup? A bowl of soup. It better be a pretty good boss. <laughs> like, wow, because I'm not going to be in the line that the Messiah is going to come through because I really would like this soup, right? That's Genesis chapter 25. But then all this stuff reaches a climax when Babylon comes, right, and then invades Jerusalem. Then the people of Edom come, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go into Jerusalem. They raid Jerusalem. They capture refugees. They hand some of the refugees over to the Babylonians, and then they kill some of the refugees. And, right? So they have stand opposed to Yahweh and, and Yahweh's people. And so Yahweh says, I, 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 after 1,700 years, I have rejected Edom. I have rejected Edom. That's a hard, that's a hard uh, uh, truth. Now, does this mean, like, you know, you're supposed to apply the Bible. Um, does this mean that we ought to hate our enemies? Well, it's actually, it's actually because God stands so adamantly opposed to the enemies of God that frees us up to be able to love our enemies. Jesus' answer to that question is an adamant no, right? He says, love one another in John 13, right? He, he says, um, Love your neighbor in Matthew chapter 22. 
And then he says in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, love, your, love even your enemy and those who persecute you. And Yahweh tells the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 23, 7, we've talked about this before, you shall not abhor the Edomite. Don't hate the Edomite. Right? Now, you might say like, okay, wait a minute. This, isn't this a double standard? Like, God, you get to hate our enemies, but we don't get to hate our enemies. Right? What is this about? Well, it, 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 would be, it would be a double standard if we were on the same level as God. But turns out, you know, God is God, and we're not. We're not God, right? And there's certain things that make him uniquely qualified for this type, type of thing. Like God, like we said, God doesn't sin, but we do. Right, so we're not really in the position to judge other finite sinners as finite sinners. And plus, I, I, I can't reach the threshold of compassion for 1,700 years. Like, I'm not going to, I hope I don't live for 1,700 years, right? Like, no, only, like only God is qualified to do that. Besides, God's the only one who knows certain things that we don't know. Right? He's the only one who knows who are his. He's the only one who knows who's going to repent. Like, we don't know those things. All right, so we have to, so just like, and I have a, I forget, Pastor Paul Carter, I have him to thank for this analogy that kind of helped me. It's like, just as growing up, like, were you, uh, were there things that your parents could do that you couldn't do in their house? Well, Yeah. Right? You know, but I'm a big boy. I get to drive the car. I'm five. Like, no, you can't. You can't drive. You're not able to drive the car, so you're not going to. I could do it. Like, no, you can't. Like, you're, no, we're not going to let you drive the car. No. Right? There's certain things that your parents are allowed to do, right, that you weren't allowed to do. And just the same way, like, there are certain things that God can do in his universe that you can't do because you're not qualified to do it. But, but God is qualified to do it. But what we can do is embrace and hold out the gospel of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, drank the cup of fire, sulfur, scorching wind on behalf of, of the wicked so that we might become the righteousness of God, is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Okay, so that... All right, that probably doesn't answer all your questions, but that's, all right, let's put a close on that first point. What about Jacob? Um, he does bad stuff. Like, how come God says that about Esau, but then he says something else about Jacob? That, that, that's our second point. I have loved Jacob, is what God says. Now, my, my first, again, initial reaction to that is to say, like, well, God loves everybody. Doesn't he love everybody? And, and there's a certain sense in which, yeah, he does love everybody. And he loves, he, he loves Esau. And he loves the Edomite. Like, God is complex in his, in his emotions, right? And, and there's a certain sense in which he loves everybody. For example, he shows his love and his providential care over all of his creation. Look with me in Psalm 145. There, beginning in verses 8 and 9, it says, The Lord is gracious 
and merciful. So this sounds like um, Exodus 34, 6, doesn't it? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord, or Yahweh, is good to all, to all. And his mercy, or you could translate that compassion, the NIV does, is over all he has made. All he has made. Compassion to all, right? Or, or think about when um, Jesus, he's, he's explaining in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that, the, that the God will cause the sun to rise and the rain to fall on who? The just and the unjust alike. And actually, Paul, uh, Jesus' argument in that is to say, and on the basis of that, you can love your enemies. Right? If God loves everyone, you can love everyone. Because he blesses and provides for everyone. Right? And so you think about, okay, well, what about Esau? Didn't he do that for Esau? Like, he, he, he was pretty gracious to Esau, wasn't he? Do you remember that moment in Genesis where Jacob and Esau, they come up to one another, and Jacob's a little bit scared, which is reasonable to be because Esau said, was committed to killing him. So you would be afraid of that person, right? So they, 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 he sends people ahead. He sends other people ahead. He's like, oh, my gosh, let's delay this as much as possible. And then when he gets to Esau, you know, he's like, hey, you can have this and this and this. And Esau, what do you say? He's like, he says, actually, actually, I'm pretty good, like, God's, like, provided all this stuff, that, you know. I, so God even, he even loves Esau in, in that kind of way. So God shows his love for everybody in that way. He also shows his love in, in giving his son for everybody, right? What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved the world. He gave his only son so that whoever, whoever, whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. So he shows his love in giving his son, and then he also shows his love in the universal call to come to Jesus with a true wish, a true wish that people would, that they would come to Jesus and experience Jesus' salvation. So think about the, the verse that Pastor Adam was talking to us about last week, right? In, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor, all, the word all, all who labor and are heavy laden and will give you rest. Whoever comes, whoever believes in me will not perish. Whoever, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved, right? Romans 10, uh, 13. Or what about this uh, from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4? It says that God desires, this is what he desires, all people, all people, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not willing for anyone to perish, 2 Peter 3, 9, but for all to come to what? For all to come to repentance. Right? And so God loves all people in these ways. Right? But, but also the Bible teaches that God loves his chosen people. This is where it's going to get this is a different controversy. We left this controversy, and now we're going to go to this controversy. But he, he, he loves, he has a special love for his chosen people. And this, is, this seems to me how, how Paul understands 
this passage from Malachi when he quotes, I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated in Romans chapter 9, which is a very hard chapter, uh, by the way, if you don't know, but Romans chapter 9, beginning in the latter part of verse 10, where we read this. When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, okay, children by one man, our forefather Isaac, that's the father, though they were not yet born, though the children were not yet born, who were the children? Jacob and Esau. Though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election, right, or choice, that his purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. So who's the older? Esau. Who's the younger? Jacob. So Esau's going to serve Jacob. Who made that choice? Rebecca? Isaac? God. God, God made the choice. In, in contradiction to what the, what the tradition of the time said, right? Now, now, now Esau, did, does it go against what Esau does later? It's in perfect alignment with what Esau does later. He despises his birthright, right? So we'll get to that. <clears throat> the older will serve the younger. God makes that call. Verse 13, and here now he's going to quote Malachi. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Okay, so there, there's, a, there's a particular issue going on in Romans chapter 9. There's a particular concern that, 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 that Paul is trying to address, and the concern is this. Is God's promise and God, has God's promise, has God's word failed? Because the Messiah came to Israel, ethnic Israel, and ethnic Israelites rejected the Messiah. Not all of them, but many rejected the Messiah. And so people thought, oh man, like, like maybe God's promise failed, right? And, and then Paul takes up that topic, actually, in Romans 9, all the way through 11. It's like a big deal, like, in, in Paul's mind. And, and he's actually, at the beginning, he's sort of, like, worked up about it, right? <clears throat> and so he, he gets to this point to say, like, his main part of the argument it, to address that issue is to say that God's promise of salvation through the Messiah has always been given on the basis of God's choice, not ethnicity, and not anything inherent in the person receiving the promise. So that the, 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 the recipients of the promise are God's chosen people, not just ethnic Israel. That, that, that's why Paul says earlier in Romans chapter 9, not all, it's a very confusing phrase, right? Not all Israel is Israel. Turns out that God's chosen people are the people that God chose. <laughs> mm. Right? That, that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with ethnicity, although it, it's not like we're negating all the promises that and the covenants that were made, made to Israel or, or even, and, and this is a separate discussion, like a future for ethnic Israel. We're not, we're not talking about that right now. But the point is, is that 
All God's chosen people are chosen by God. Okay, that, that seems to make sense. Which includes, like Paul's going to continue, believing Gentiles who are grafted in and a remnant of believing Israel who Paul explains are chosen, this is Romans 11 now, by grace, unmerited favor, unmerited transformative power. That, 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 if you think about grace, that's what it is, all by the Spirit. Right? He chose them by grace, not by works. And then he explains, otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. You see that? that? That helps us understand grace. Like, so if it's by grace, God's sovereign choice, to be gracious, it cannot be by works. Like, you can't have it, you can't have it both ways, Paul says. And he says, okay, God's promise has not failed because everything, it's always been on the basis of God's sovereign choice, his grace. And then, so what he does with Malachi, he brings Malachi in to be an illustration to support his thesis. That's basically what, it, what he's doing. He's bringing uh, uh, Jacob and, and Esau in to show God's electing love, to talk, to talk about it. Because God chose to bring his promise of salvation to and through Jacob and to pass over Esau, even though he was the older brother, right? And his decision, God's decision, was not based on ethnicity. See, this is the whole point he's making when he's like, they had one father, there's one father, and then there was, and they had the same father and the same mother, they're both Jewish. So it's not based on ethnicity, and it's not based on any inherent goodness in them. Why? Because the choice was made before what? They had done either good or bad. Right now, it turns out, like when they grow up, they're, they're both undeserving. But that's not the basis on which God made his choice. God made his choice on the basis of his electing covenantal love. So, I mean, this, it gets a little bit circular here because it's like, his choice is based on his love, and his love is based on his choice, and his choice is based on, you know, and it's like, okay, and it's, it's basically, it's another way to say, like, because. God, God, God loved you, God lo and, and if you read Romans 9, like, basically, that's the answer. He's like, um, why are you, like, it's so frustrating to me, because I want to know answers, right? And God says, you know, he's like, well, why are you asking this question? That's God's answer. You know, he's like, it's because. Now, um, and, 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 and uh, Tim Keller, and I'm going to, but anyway, he said something that was so funny to me. He's like, like you, you know, you get worked up about it, and you're like, man, this doesn't make sense to me. It seems random. It seems capricious and all this. And he said, hold on, Mr. Center of the Universe. Right? Just because the reason is unknown to you, and just because the reason, the reason for it isn't centered on you doesn't mean there's no reason. It just means that you don't know. Like, okay, so I don't like sitting with that kind of stuff. Like, I like things to fit together in nice little boxes, you know, that, that make sense to me, you know? And God's like, well, okay, yeah, well, I don't know. It's because. 
Uh, and, uh, and that's kind of like where it ends. But the point of it is, so there's a sense in which, right? God loves all people. He does. He loves all people. But there's another sense in which he loves, he has a special love for his covenant people, right? He, who he has brought into covenant with on the basis of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That they become the children of God, adopted sons and daughters of the king. And so this is, now this is what this is meant, this teaching is meant to do for us. It's not meant to stir up controversy in the church, (laughs) you know. I I mean, it does, and I don't want to minimize that, and everybody, you know, you can have a different opinion on me on this. Um, But it's not meant to to build up controversy in the church. It's It's meant to be two things, at least, humbling, humbling, and, and actually comforting. Right? In the New Testament, that's how it's, it's how it's always presented. It's either humbling or it's comforting. It's humbling in the sense that you realize, man, what that means is, is that, okay, my, like, the re- if you follow Jesus, you love Jesus, right? It's not because you make such great choices. And it's, de- it's not because you, you make better choices than your unbelieving friends. Right? It's, it, that's, that, it, that's the one thing that it, that it can't be. Right? And Jesus, Jesus said this, right? John chapter 15, verse 16. You did not choose me, I, but I chose you. Right? Or, or 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love. Why do we love? Because he first loved us. Or, or John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So look, they're coming. They're coming to him. That's important to know. Unless, but it wouldn't happen unless the Father draws him. And then this next phrase is actually pretty important. And I will raise him up on the last day. So t- for me... Um, this is the, the resurrection of the righteous unto eternal life. So when God draws his, his, his call, like it's based on because of him who calls, right? When he calls, so he, people who come to him, they don't come and, because they don't want to come. That, that's not how that works, right? They come, but they, be, they come because he draws. So what that means is his drawing is 100% effective. Because everyone who is raised up on the last day was drawn. It's 100% effective. Right? So, and that is, it's, it's a, so what that means is who God chose are the people who choose Jesus. And you could say it the other way. The ones who chose Jesus are the ones who God chose. They are the same people. Right? So don't get confused about that. It's like where people end up in different places where they don't want to be. That's not, that's not how that works. Because God, he, in his sovereignty, he works alongside with the will of the human. And, and I don't know how to, you know, we could, people for thousands of years are trying to figure out like God's sovereignty and, and human responsibility, and we're not going to try to do that here. But they, but they work together somehow, and there's differences of opinion on how that exactly works. And as I said, it's a humbling thing, isn't it? Because you realize if God didn't intervene, 
you'd still be among the wicked. You'd still be counted among the wicked. God needs to do a work inside of you. And, and it brings comfort, too. Like, like when you think about um, the just because. I love you just because. If God's love for me is ultimately, and that word ultimately is important, but we're not going to get into it. But if it's, if it's ultimately because of his sovereign choice and his will is never thwarted, well, then that means that I can be secure. But if his, joy, if his choice is based on something in me, I mean, I know myself, right? That, that feels pretty tenuous. Like, that feels like that can be undone, right? But it's actually based on, based on him. And so God is God, and, and, and we're not. And it's, and it's a good thing. Because we would never choose him on our own. Like we needed a touch uh, from God. And, and so speaking for myself, and I, I see some of your faces like trying to think through this. Man, I am thankful for God's electing love. That, that I would be, I don't deserve it. That I would be chosen by God. Not because he saw anything in me, but just because. And when I think about my daughter, in Africa, and, and I, hope, I hope we're going soon, man. And I, I want her to know, like, man, like I chose you. I, I chose you because I love you. Why do you love me, Dad? Just because. Not because I saw, like, what good you could do for me, but just because. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. You're faithful to us. You love us. Lord, we don't understand a lot of things, but help us to trust you even when we don't understand, God. Help us to cling to you, Lord. You are our Father. Lord, we have been adopted in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I pray that we could, by your Spirit, sing praises to you now, we pray. In Jesus' name. <laughs>